here. So tonight is lesson three of this course called Positivity Bias, which we entitled Stories to Reframe Our Experiences During These Turbulent Times. And we had to get here at some point. So I decided to do this for lesson three and to ask the question, does positive thinking really help? So we've been very loosey-goosey. It's been a lot of fun. We've been very inspirational. But does positive thinking really help? Does it really work? So before we get into the nitty-gritty tonight, I have a little joke for you. What's the difference between a Jewish pessimist and a Jewish optimist? A Jewish pessimist says, Things can't possibly get worse than this. And a Jewish optimist replies, yes, they can. So I started off your your student book tonight with a, a little quote from Winston Churchill. And he says, When I look back at all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said in his deathbed that he had had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which had never happened. I find that whenever we talk about positive thinking, whenever we talk about reshaping our positivity bias, there's this little voice in our head that says, What if it doesn't work? What if everything we're saying is really good, but it doesn't work? What if I get myself hyped up, but at the end of the day, whatever I'm thinking positive about doesn't actually come true? So is positive thinking the best thing for me? Maybe instead of being a positive thinker, I should be a realist and I should say, you know what? It's not just about positive thinking. It's about realistic thinking. Sometimes I'm positive and sometimes I'm uh, not so positive. So I'll tell you a story. This story was told by the late rabbi from California, Rabbi Yeshua Benjamin Gordon. And he says that in 1973, he was offered an opportunity to become the Rebbe's emissary to open a Chabad house in northern or north of Los Angeles, known as the San Fernando Valley. And it happened near the occasion of the Rebbe's 70th birthday. And on that momentous occasion, the Rebbe had sent me a special blessing. He blessed me to make firm decisions with a clarity and to work hard with faith and trust in God. He says, I took the Rebbe's message to be a universal message. If you want to succeed, you need, first of all, to work hard. You need to wake up very early in the morning and pound the pavement, as they say. But that's not enough. 
you have to do it with a clarity. And with everything you do, you must have a tremendous amount of trust in God that your work will succeed. The Rebbe's responses and advice always emanated optimism. As he urged us to go forth with with confidence, with fearlessness. And we did because we felt that the Rebbe was always holding our hands. On one occasion, Rabbi Gordon says, my wife and I faced a very serious challenge in our life. The particulars are not germane to the story, he says. But suffice to say, it was very debilitating for us. I suggested that my wife write to the Rebbe about it, and she did. She sat down and wrote a 10-page letter explaining everything. The day her letter arrived in New York, I got a call from the Rebbe's secretary with the following answer. The secretary said, quote from the Rebbe, Time and again in your holy work as Shluchim, you have imagined that the situation you find yourselves in is the end of the world. But then you saw how the situation flipped over and became visible and revealed good. You must in all cases follow the command of the Tzemach Tzedek to think optimistically and things will turn out well. The Rebbe's prompt response was illuminating. This answer is a teaching that I try to remember every day, that as bad as things may look, they looked bad last time too, but everything turned out fine. Every single one of us has experimented and experienced the times in our lives when the worst outcome seemed inevitable. How many of those times took a different turn from what we anxiously expected? For many of us, this is a reoccurring pattern of negative thoughts. And in the end, all the time that we spent stressing about it didn't do us any good, not to mention that it was actually bad for our health. For some reason, many of us, maybe as a result of the war or as a result of another world and our parents or grandparents coming to this country from another place, but there was a certain negativity bias that we were raised with. And it's almost ingrained within us. We have this skepticism. We have this questioning. We have this, it's not going to work out. We have this almost like a doomsday mentality, if I could say so. It's completely part of our conditioning. It's part of who we are. And we're raised with it. And we're constantly reinforced from early on with this idea that it's not going to work out. And time and again, it doesn't work out. So it's almost like we become self-fulfilling prophets. We say it's not going to work out, and then it doesn't work out. And then we say, aha, you saw it didn't work out. 
So now what do you expect? Do you expect next time I'm going to think it is going to work out? No, next time I'm going to become more skeptical. Next time I'm going to have a better reason why it's not going to work out. And then it goes on and on and on because the world proves to us time and again that it's not a good place, that it's not a happy place, that things don't work out. So we create this proven method in our minds and in our hearts that things don't work out. So I ask you a very complicated question tonight. Does positive thinking really help? I want you to think about this question. And and if you want, you can write it to yourself. But really think about this question for a moment. Can you recall what you were worrying about one year ago today? Okay, not one year ago today. Can you recall what you were worrying about a year ago in general. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and Empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Can you recall what you were worrying about two years ago? I mean, you probably were worrying about something two years ago. So can you recall what it was? What about three years ago? It wasn't that long ago. In the grand scheme of things, three years ago was not that long ago. Can can you recall what you were worrying about three years ago? And at some point... You're going to get to a point, you know, some of you, and I'm watching your answers, so I could see that some of you said for sure when I said a year ago. Some of you said even yes when I said two years ago. I even saw some of you say three years ago, but then as it goes on, there's going to be a point where you're going to say, as Alan just said, no, but I know there was something I was worrying about. So that's obvious. There was definitely something that you were worrying about, but the question is, Keep on going back, 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 back. At some point, maybe maybe you have such a great memory that you have to go back five years. 
But I can't imagine if I were to tell you six years ago, which six years ago was um, June of, of 2014. You cannot look at a picture. You cannot look at any of your Facebook posts from June of 2014. You can't look at any pointers, just your mind. Can you tell me in June of 2014 what you were worrying about? Yeah, maybe you're going to be like the whale and the sonar. You're going to be, oh, well, I was in this particular place in this particular time. You see, what you're doing is you're just, you're just creating this movement based on your place, based on your circumstance. And you can probably uh, make a really strong, educated guess. I don't want the strong, educated guess. I want to know you were probably worrying about something, and it was probably really important. So if it was really that important, Six years ago, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long ago. Can you remember it? And, and for those of you who are, okay, it happens to be, I see for one person who was having surgery, I, uh, I, I, I got the, the 2014. Okay, let's go to 2013 for you. And, 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 uh, and for you who said, I actually know exactly, I'm very happy. So let's go to 2011. The point is at some point, at some point, you had something that you were really worrying about, but now you can't even think of it. And the reason why I'm going through this exercise is because our mind is an amazing tool. It's an amazing tool, and it will believe whatever we tell it. It will focus on whatever we decide to focus on. So if you're going to worry about something, it will be focused on worrying about something. And it's so funny how when you're a kid, some things are so important, so important. And then when you're an adult, you say, why was I so focused on that? When you were a young adult, when you were a teenager, my gosh, things that were important. And now, what does it matter? And that's because of maturity. That's because of the change in our environments and our behavior. The mind is so incredible that it listens to everything we tell it, even our perspective, even our idea, even our lack of perspective. So we can worry and worrying could work for it. It could be a very important part of our lives. And it could be that it's been the part of us that has kept us safe and secure, which is also important. I'm not denying that and I'm not belittling that but it's a choice. And if you didn't make that choice actively, you made that choice passively. Whatever choice you don't make actively is a choice that you make passively. So you can either make the choice or you cannot make the choice, but that's also a choice. The, what the, in, in, the, in the story of Rabbi Gordon, there was a, a point that the Rebbe uh, focused on. And he said that 
beyond just commenting on the futility of worrying and the futility of pessimistic thinking. In the Rebbe's message, he invoked an incredible essential teaching. It was a teaching of his great-great-grandfather, who's had the same name as him, Rabbi Menachem Mendel. He was the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. He was known as the Tzemach Tzedek. And there, there, he was known, in general, I think that you find that great leaders, great people are known for, for something, right? If I say, ask not what your, your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, we know who that person is it's, it's attributed to. It's a speech by John F. Kennedy. If I say, I had a dream, we know that that's Martin Luther King. So in general, there are statements that particular great leaders and people are attributed to. There was one statement this Rabbi Menachem Mendel at Tzemach Tzedek was known for. He said in Yiddish, Tracht gut vet sein gut. Think good and will be good. This was his teaching. Now, I want to give you the background to this teaching. So, the son of one of the followers of the Tzemach Tzedek once fell seriously ill. The father of the ill boy was advised to travel to the village of Lubavitch, where the Tzemach Tzedek lived, and to seek out the blessing of the great rabbi. With a heavy heart, he makes the difficult trek to the Rebbe. And in response to his request for a blessing, the Samach Tzedek pronounces, Tracht gut vet sein gut. Think good and will be good. Now, when the student heard these words, when the Chassid heard these words, he took them to heart. And, and during his entire homeward journey, he strove to strengthen his trust in God and to visualize a good outcome for his son. When he returned home, he was shocked to see that his son had completely healed and he was back to his normal self. Now, even though this aphorism was just all of five words, in subsequent generations and in the Rebbe's teachings in particular, the short statement was developed into what I would say is a central tenet of Chabad philosophy. There are countless references to the principle tracht gut, think good and will be good in the Rebbe's letters, in the Rebbe's talks, in the Rebbe's personal encounters with those who sought his blessing. And so the popularization of positive thinking, notwithstanding for many people, the instruction to think positive in the face of challenges and crisis is a difficult directive to take seriously. Think positive sounds like this naive counsel that you'd find, I don't know, in a, in a supermarket self-help book or, or uh, some amateur new age podcast peddling feel-good platitudes or, uh, you know, banal sound bites. Besides, isn't this approach dangerous? Can't this idea of positive thinking set us up for a great disappointment? What if you visualize an excellent result and a positive outcome, 
doesn't happen. What if it doesn't materialize? Then what? Then what do you say? Oh, all this is garbage. You see, I went to the rabbi and the rabbi said, what happened? What do you think would happen if the student of the Tzamach Tzedek went home and his son wasn't better? So what happens then? What happens to all his positive thinking? He embodied the positive thinking and he obviously felt that the positive thinking was the reason for his son's getting better, which is a beautiful story. Think good and will be good. But what if it doesn't happen? And I think that it's possible. It probably happens more often than not that somebody thinks good and the outcome is not good. It's funny because a lot of scientists have recently pushed back against positive thinking. They, they claim that focusing solely on the best outcome is not the most psychologically sound approach to life because of the high expectation of, of or, or the high potential of a failed expectation. You, you really don't want to set someone up for that level of failure. There was actually an article in 2011 in uh, Scientific American. I put it in your handout. I'm not going to read it. It's called The Power of Negative Thinking. And uh, it's a fascinating article. I encourage you at some point to read it from your handout, but I'll give you the gist of it. This article suggests that imagining the worst outcome instead rather than the, the, the best is a more optimal way to live. Because if you envision and you plan for the worst case scenario, you're never gonna be let down. And you can only be pleasantly surprised if you end up with a positive outcome. Don't you want, what do they say? Um, um, expect little and then you'll be pleasantly surprised. I think there's a, a terminology that they say, um, you know, like if, if you have little expectation, then you'll be happy no matter what. Newsweek also ran a very famous uh, piece, um, September 15th of 2016. Maybe that was the one that I put into, in, in, into your handout. If, if I didn't send you the Scientific American, I'll send that one to you as well, because I think it's really important. It was called the tyranny of, of positive thinking that can threaten your health and happiness. And, and in this article, they report the findings of motivational scientists who said that an instance on positivity could cause people to blame themselves for their own sadness or for their own failure to overcome adversity. So what good does this do? What good does it do? Maybe we should not be thinking positive. Maybe we should be realists. We should think realistically. We should not set ourselves up for failure. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not going to work. Maybe positive thinking creates a good reality. Maybe it doesn't. How do we know? Maybe we should listen to the social scientists. So the fact that this concept, which started from the and now has become an integral part of Hasidic philosophy. Think good and will be good. And I would say is a staple of the Rebbe's positivity bias. I think that we need to 
question it, as I'm, I hope that I'm building up a case for. And then we also have to explain it. So that's what I want to do tonight. I believe I built up the question uh, as best I can with the limited time that I have. And now I'm going to go through the process of trying to be the skeptic, but yet understanding why this idea of think good and will be good is such an integral part of the Rebbe's positivity bias. In 1963, the Rebbe expanded on the philosophical and the spiritual dynamic behind this, this phrase, think good and will be good. He began by asking the obvious question. The Rebbe asked, on what basis should one believe that the outcome will be good in the face of any challenge? Isn't it presumptuous to assume that in every given situation, we're always deserving of divine grace? And what of the basic Jewish belief that there's a divine order of reward and punishment that governs our world, making positive outcomes dependent on righteous behavior? So it wouldn't make sense in a world that's balanced between good and evil for there to be always positive outcomes. I mean, think about it this way. If everything was always positive, nothing would be positive. The only reason why things are good is because there's bad. If everything was good, then it would just be blah. You need bad in order for the good times to be good. Here's what the Rebbe said. When a person decides to place their faith in God, trusting that their current crisis will be resolved favorably, despite facing a bleak reality, they have, in effect, risen above their own nature, which in turn elicits the suspension of the divine order in which only the righteous are deserving of salvation. God understands how difficult and even supernatural it is for a human being to be unequivocally trusting to the degree that he or she no longer experiences fear or anxiety. On that uncompromising and even seemingly hopeless situation will have a positive outcome. So therefore, the Rebbe continues, as a result, and even reward for the extraordinary act of thinking good, God deems the one who placed their trust in him, who may be otherwise undeserving of a positive outcome, as deserving of an extra measure of divine generosity in this instance. In other words, the powerful effects of positive thinking as illuminated in the teachings of Hasidus and Kabbalah, are not psychological. And indeed, on a psychological level, there's room for debate and the pros and cons of imagining and expecting the best rather than the worst. Rather, positive thinking, the trust in God, actually changes the future reality for the better. In simple words, positive thinking doesn't just help us manage or react 
to our reality. It literally helps shape and create our reality. This is the Rebbe's message, that you actually can shape and create your reality with positive thinking. It's not just a good idea. It's not just this great outlook on life. It shapes and creates and molds your reality. And if it wasn't supposed to be good, it's going to be good. Because God knows how difficult it is for us to think good. Because God knows that we are all conditioned to think negative. We are, we're all conditioned with a negativity bias. We started this entire course by saying no one ever put the word positive before bias. If you ever heard bias, usually when you hear someone has a bias, it means they have a negative bias or a critical bias because that's the way we're conditioned. But imagine if we can recondition ourselves to have a positivity bias. We can recondition ourselves to look at the world through this positive lens. What the Rebbe says here is then God gives us an extra measure because God knows how difficult it is for us, how we're undoing everything we've been raised with. Let me tell you a story. In 1957, a young man from Israel received a letter from home that his father had suffered a heart attack and was in critical condition. At a time when overseas phone calls were prohibitively expensive and rare, the young man's anxiety was deepened by the thought that his father may have already passed away. The young man's devastated, he's heartbroken, and there's nothing he can do. So he writes a note to the Rebbe explaining the situation, ending with the following sentence. I don't even know what to think at this point. In his response, the Rebbe underlined the student's final sentence. I don't even know what to think at this point, and wrote next to it, shocking. This is what the Rebbe writes, shocking. Because the instruction of our sages in such situations is well known. Think good and will be good. I await good news. A few tense days pass, and finally this young man reaches his mother by phone. How is father? He's out of danger, his mother says. When did this happen? Thursday night. After hanging up the phone, the young man went to the Rebbe's synagogue to 770 for the afternoon prayers. On his way out of the synagogue, the Rebbe turned to him and asked, "Nu, do you have any good news for me? He said, yes, yes, I do. I just phoned home and I was told that my father's out of danger. Since when, the Rebbe asks him, since Thursday night. And when did you begin to think good? When the Rebbe told me to do so, the young man says. And when was that? The Rebbe presses him a little bit. Thursday evening. The Rebbe looks at him and says, may such things never happen again. But you must always remember to think positively. It's, it's tough 
when we're in the, the midst of the emotion, when we're in the midst of the trauma, because our natural desire is to think negative. It's very easy for us to be sitting here relaxing on a Zoom call online and saying, yes, I'll do that. That's inspirational. But when we're in the thick of the emotions, when the whole world is going to you nowhere, are we able to think positive? Are we able to have that kind of faith? When did you start thinking positive? And that's when it changed. Can we do that? Because in the Rebbe's philosophy, that's when everything changes. And it's not when you convince yourself or you prop yourself up and say, I'm going to be a positive thinker today. Yay, yay, yay. That's not when it happens. It happens when we actually, actually embody it, when we actually become positive change agents, when we actually become true positive thinkers. That's when we change everything. I'll tell you another story. A certain chassid was due to have a very serious operation in a few weeks' time. And he organized to have a private audience with the Rebbe. Now, during this private audience, he asked the Rebbe for a blessing that the surgery be a success. The Rebbe grew very serious. And he looks at him and he says pointedly, instead of asking that I pray that the surgery be successful, you could have asked me to pray that you don't need to undergo the surgery at all. So the chassid immediately recants his Rebbe, I want to ask for a blessing that I not need the surgery at all. Rebbe says, it's too late. I can only work with the faith that you had when you entered my office, not the faith you have now. So what the Rebbe is saying, I can only work with the level of faith you have in God not with the level of faith I have in God. So you can't just, the whole idea that there's no atheists in foxholes, yeah, obviously when you're, when you're you know, with the gun to your head, then there's no atheists in foxholes. But now is the time when the gun, heaven forbid, is not to our head, and it never should be. But now is the time when there's nothing serious in our immediate life, or even if there is something serious in our immediate life, now is the time to create that level of faith. And I think that this story demonstrates it's not just our positive thoughts that have the power to affect and to change our reality, but it's the mindset. It's the approach that we have towards faith from which, one, from which those thoughts emerge. You see, the chassid in the story wasn't lacking in his faith in God. When he had a health issue, where did he go? Where did he turn to? He sought out the blessing of the Rebbe, of a holy person. He recognized that the doctor is merely an agent of God and that the true source of his healing and his well-being comes 
from the heavenly spiritual source. Nevertheless, his request that the surgery be successful was predicated on a certain limitation of faith. Where the medical view created and dictated the, param the parameters of the vessel for the blessing that he saw. I'll talk about the vessel in a second, but I'll finish this idea. So essentially, the Rebbe's response to him was, why limit God to the parameters of the medical expertise you received? Why limit the type and the extent of the kindness that God can provide you? What are you putting a limit on God's kindness? So put differently, that the power of the story is that faith is not monolithic. Something that you either have or, or something that you lack, but rather there are different levels of faith that we each possess, that we each can attain. And whatever level of faith we have at any given time in our life generates and dictates the level of revealed divine grace that we experience in our life. Think about it. God imbued us with a tremendous power and a gift allowing us to choose the interface, the operating system of our relationship with it, which God reciprocates following our lead, so to speak. So let's talk about blessings for a second. I've spoken about this before, but I want to I wanna make a point here to discuss this. There, there's often in our lives that we ask for blessing. Blessing means that I want something that is beyond the everyday. I want God to give me something that I need, not what I want. God doesn't give me what I want, what I need, and it's beyond the everyday. I want a blessing. Now, depending on the size of the blessing, it will need something to hold it in this world. The blessings are all over. There are, there are myriads of blessings, but can we hold them? I mean, if I want uh, to drink water, I mean, there's an entire ocean filled with water. There's no shortage of, of, of water to drink in this world, but I need a cup to be able to hold so that I can drink the water. I mean, I guess if I hold my hands, I mean, that's also a vessel, or I can hold one hand, that's a vessel, or I can hold a, a hand cup like this, maybe it's a little bit bigger vessel, or I can hold a cup, or I can hold a, a bigger cup, or I can hold a bottle, or I can hold a, a barrel. So depending on the size of the water that you want will be the blessing, or will be the amount of water that you can fit into the particular vessel. So if you need a barrel of water, if you need liters and liters of water, then you need, a, you need something big enough to hold all those liters of water. The same thing is with blessings. There is unlimited amount of blessings. If we're not able to receive a blessing in our life, it comes from us. It's because of us, not because of the blessing. Every single blessing needs a vessel that is able to handle it, a vessel that is able to hold it. Every blessing needs that. 
So if you want a great blessing in your life, you need a great vessel. What is a vessel? What is a spiritual vessel? So there are different levels of spiritual vessels in order to hold spiritual blessings. It really depends on the kind of blessing you want. For example, um, a mitzvah is a, could be a, a, a vessel for a blessing. Now, there are some things in our lives that are very hard for us to do, and there are some things in our lives that are very easy for us to do. Some people have a very easy time, let's say, shutting their mouth, not saying the wrong thing. Some people have a really hard time. So it's a mitzvah to, to, to not say negative things, not about ourselves, not about others. That's a mitzvah. For some people, that's a very hard mitzvah. But doing that, which is so hard for us, in order to get or make a vessel for a very strong blessing that we want, is an example of something that's possible for us to do. I'll give you, I'll give you another example. The one time that God says that you can test me, it's with charity. So now you can give five cents to charity. And that's a five cent blessing. Or you can give charity that's beyond your means. Often when somebody would come to the Rebbe and ask the Rebbe for a blessing and say they were having trouble finding a partner, they were having trouble finding their soulmate, the Rebbe would say that you should give charity to a needy bride that's beyond your means. You should give an amount that's beyond your means that it hurts you to give, that you would never give. Because the blessing of finding your soulmate is so great that you need that big of a vessel to be able to hold it. That's the idea of blessings and vessels. The, the Kabbalistic concept is orot and kelim, is light and vessels that in order to in order for the, the to be able to hold the light, the divine light, you need to have a vessel that will hold it. So just to summarize my talk tonight, from from a, a psychological practical point of view, there there may be a risk or a downside to positive thinking. It could be, it's possible that someone's setting, setting themselves up for a massive letdown if things don't work out as they had hoped. It could be, it's possible. But from this perspective, envisioning a worst case scenario might actually help avoid future suffering by managing our expectations. But from a spiritual perspective, and this is precisely the arena and the aim of faith, the exact opposite is true. It isn't that we must manage our thoughts to conform to or protect us from reality. The truth is that whether we know it or not, our reality is shaped and molded and limited or expanded 
in relation to our level of faith and the positivity of our thoughts. That is how we are going to mold and shape our reality. We have the ability to create the vessel. We have the ability to create the reality. So are we realists by thinking positively? I would say yes. Because we become self-fulfilling prophets. If we think negatively, then it happens. If we think positively, then it happens. And so it becomes our job to almost re-educate ourselves, to recondition ourselves, to start thinking positively, even though it's not our nature. We want it to become our nature. We want it to become second nature for us because that allows us to enter a new space, a space where we don't think about asking for a blessing for the surgery to be successful. We think about asking for a blessing for no surgery at all. We, we go beyond the limitations of this world. And we say that we're not confined to the limitations of this world because we're a body and a soul. Our body may be confined to limitations in this world, but our soul rising higher like a flame definitely is not confined to the limitations of this world. And because of that, we have the ability to go beyond. We have the ability to think beyond, to experience beyond. How do we do that? Through the power of positive thinking. And that's the formal part of tonight's talk. I'll open it up now for questions, answers, thoughts, perspectives, etc. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com Scroll to the bottom of the page and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode. 